0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Welcome to the drill down. We've got business stories behind stocks and a move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 186. Well, last week we looked at some losers today. We're gonna look at winners from the last year of the drill down. That includes a REIT that shows us that investing in Vegas is a good bet. And a biopharma company finding some successful results building a platform. And then we're gonna have an interview as well, just like always with Sumo Logic CEO, Raman Saya, talking about making cloud native
1: applications safe. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. Never miss another critical event or insight ever. With Era, customize your company watch lists and track key events, mentions, filings and more, all within an easy to use customizable interface. That's Aira, dot com. And there are so many ways to listen to The Drill Down on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Make sure you don't miss a show. Hit the subscribe button. That way you'll catch every single episode. And The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. All right, I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We're gonna talk about the
0: business stories, behind some stocks on the move, joining me to help me do that. Executive producer Isaac Webster. Isaac, I thought today, with a new year begun, we should look at some winners
1: from the last year, 2023. Happy Happy New Year to you, Corey, and to all yeah. our all our listeners. And I'm very excited about this because we are going to highlight some of the big names we've had on our show and how well they've done, um, and how well they did in 2022. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Well let's start with some context before we start drilling down.
0: And I will say that many of the companies that we interviewed, the CEOs whose uh, companies was uh, CEOs we interviewed and representing their companies, they sucked. They all sucked. The CEOs were great for the most part, with some notable exceptions, but they were fantastic, but their companies did not do well cuz the market did not do well last year. Oh my goodness. If you look at the year, right? The S&P down 20% is just the beginning of it. The Nasdaq biotech index didn't so much better cuz it was only down 10%. But the Russell 2000 down 23%. The Nasdaq 100, those 100 giant tech companies that we know and love, down 34% in the year. So any company that was even down, you know, I don't know, 5-10% was vastly doing better than the market. I was talking to my son the other day about a stock that he owns that was up. I think he was up five or six percent for the year. I'm like, dude, that's a home run right now. Uh-huh. Uh, the companies we're going to focus on today, from our last year's interviews, the three companies I want to look at, um, all did much better than the market, and indeed were up. And some of them up substantially for the year. Are you trying
1: to say it was because the CEO came on our show? If only that were the case, <laughs> booking would be so much easier. If we were the good luck charm, but I do
0: think that the exposition of business models that we try to do with every episode does give you the chance to really understand what these companies are doing. And you're going to hear in these sound bites that we've we've clipped from the last year, why these companies, what the companies were doing, and maybe start to hear how that was going to bode for some future success. And let's start with Dice Therapeutics.
1: So Dice Therapeutics uh, trades under DICE, D-I-C-E, and shares have risen almost 80% in six months, and are higher by 35% over the past 12 months. And when did we talk to DICE's CEO? We talked to um, Ed Judice.
0: Again, the name Judice. the company's called DICE. Um, We talked to uh, Dr. Judice back in May of 2022. Um, And uh, it's a fascinating company. It's early stage biotech um, uh, working on a phase one trial, at least at that point, they're working on a phase one trial for psoriasis treatment. And what was super interesting to me was um the notion of um uh well a couple things one was uh, the notion of going after a drug uh, uh, trying to develop a drug for which there are already efficacious treatments and the notion here was that if they could come up with an, an oral therapy instead of the shots that psoriasis patients have to get these days that that oral therapy might be better tolerated and taken more often just cuz it's easier to do so but also that the 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 bar for um for a lifelong condition and, a, and for which there's already a treatment is so much higher you're not testing whether the drug works or only if the drug works you're testing how well a patient can handle the drug how low the side effects are and because things like psoriasis are chronic illnesses something that someone's going to have for the rest of their life they're going to be taking this drug for the rest of their life so the again the bar that they have to pass is so much higher well after doing our interview the company came out with the results announcing that they, they indeed at least in phase one trials had surpassed that bar, that their investigational oral therapy for um, uh, psoriasis uh, showed that it actually helped a lot and that the patients were able to tolerate it well, at least in the phase one trial, and that they're gonna apply for a phase two trial and try to move the drug along. And that's exciting, not just because of the, for the, for the uh, uh, vast uh, numbers of people suffering from psoriasis, but it's exciting for this company because they're trying to develop a platform, not just a drug. That is, if they see that they can pick this lock, they're gonna look for other locks, other diseases that look similar and try to apply this to those diseases as well. Very hopeful results from that trial. Here's what uh, Kevin Judice had to say to us uh, about how he thought his drug uh, uh, that he was developing, his company's developing, might be more than just a single drug and might indeed be a platform.
2: I would paraphrase platform and biotech as they seem to have something interesting. I, I think they can do it again. If you could, if you think you can do it again, it's a platform. Does that make sense? So, so in other really, words, you can,
0: the treatment that works on this disease slightly altered will work in a different disease.
2: That's the basic idea. Yeah. Is that whatever approach you took to get to this interesting medicine for psoriasis could be modified slightly to give you an interesting medicine somewhere else. And so I don't, you know it's it's funny uh plat- like everything else in biotech platforms come in fashion they go out of fashion it sort of depends on what year you check in uh but even when they're in fashion they have been in fashion for some number of years now you still have the fundamental rub with a biotech platform which is no one gives it any credit you won't really receive credit for having one until you make a product right. that looks like a real drug once you've made it then people get excited like well where did that come from could you do it again Uh, So, I really tend to think of DICE Therapeutics in its current format as a company with some interesting drugs under, you know, phases of research and development, and we have used an interesting technology to enable some phases of that work, and as we go down to look for new drugs we might work on, we'll probably run the same play, we'll have the same approach, technically speaking, at various points along the way whether that qualifies as a platform or an approach or an algorithm that's beyond my pay grade right like uh, the people like to think about that and th- like i say things come in vogue they come out of vogue what's never out of fashion is a good drug if you can make a good drug that really has yeah. patience then you've got the bakings of a good company and if that good company is is stopped you know is is populated by people who really care about their work and are smart and work hard and you get the right investors, then you can potentially do it again. And that's really what it's all about, right? If you're trying to build a company that's going to last, you're going to have to be able to repeat whatever the first thing is uh, a couple times. And that I think fundamentally is what people mean by platform in our space.
0: So again, phase one trial very early for this company, but looking very positive phase two trial. Uh, uh, presumably on the way. They said they're going to apply to the FDA um, uh, sometime in the year 2023. And uh, we'll look for some uh, some news from this company about how that's going and how that, uh, that setup looks like. It's still a long way to go. But thus far, the results have been uh, promising and more promising than we expected uh, when we talked to the company as what they were hoping for actually happened.
1: And if you want to hear more from Dice, Dice's CEO on the Drill Down podcast, check out episode 154 from May 2022.
0: I should mention that after the results came out, they also were able to do a, uh, a fundraising. They did a sold some more stock at a much higher level, mind you, uh, because the stock got that big boost in October with those results. But that means this company's got a much longer runway than it had prior to uh, our interview. Corey, what is your
1: next drill down? Let's take another look at Vici Properties. Uh, Vici Properties trades under V-C-I, is Vici is V I C I, and shares have dropped four percent in a month, but they're higher by five percent in a year, just a few dollars shy of its fifty-two week high of thirty-five bucks a share. So, when did we talk to um Vici properties CEO?
0: Well, interestingly, it was also in May, twenty twenty-two, just a week after we talked to the uh, CEO of uh, Dice Therapeutics. We talked to the Vici CEO. And one of the things I remember about this interview is that, uh, like many of the CEOs we talked to this year, uh, that was done from a, a bedroom or a home office or something for this this company, uh, for the for the CEO, because like so many of us, they were working from home a lot in the last year. Um, this is a REIT. And it's a REIT focused on Las Vegas. Specifically, these guys own the land under which many Vegas hotels uh, operate. Including of, Caesar's, of the right? Caesars, right? Caesars, yep. So very big hotels, um, in the biggest hotels in the most um, economically active street in the entire world, that being the Las Vegas Strip. So much revenue derived by these hotels in this very area. And while well, they do own hotels uh, uh, in lots of places uh, in America, um, Uh, Lake Tahoe is one of those places, they own some hotels in the Midwest. All of the land is underneath casinos and all of their income comes from rent. So they're not operating partners um, uh, in these businesses, they are merely rent takers in this business and the owners of the stock um, are also the rent takers because it's a REIT and they have to pay out most of their net income um, to their, uh, their shareholders. And that net income growth has just been fantastic. When they took this thing public in about 2019, they had about $40 million in tra- trailing net income. Now they've got about $800 million in trailing net income as of uh, September uh, quarter. Um, and, and they've paid a really healthy dividend of 4.8% currently, as, as we record this show. And it's kind of been in that north of 4% rate um, for the entire year, even as that net income has grown, even as the share price has grown, um, showing the effectiveness of this model. And indeed, when we talked to the CEO, and I remember him talking about the efficacious nature of this business because they had just 20 employees for this this company, uh, three of whom are executive assistants. I think I cracked. That means 17 of them aren't doing anything um, because we all know how hard <laughs> the, how the executive assistants are actually working. But uh, uh, VT Properties, you know, this is a big business. It's a $32 billion company uh, $32 billion uh, market cap, I should say. And, uh, like I said, $800 million in trailing net income, um, just doing fantastically well, but very different from hotel REITs, which end up as operating partners without operational control. And no one knows that better than the Vici properties, CEO, Ed Petionak, who used to run some hotel REITs.
3: The fundamental difference is hotel REITs do not get paid rent. Hotel REITs operate in a model in which they end up being, their return ends up coming through the operating free cash flow of the asset. They're not allowed to operate the asset. They have to hire a third-party operator to operate on their behalf. I will tell you, having run two hotel REITs and having done well only because we knew when to sell the goddamn REIT, hotel REITs, that it is a broken business model. Really? Um, if you, to the extent that, that you and your, your listeners want an axiom today, I will give you the following axiom. In any business where the, op, the operators don't own, aren't accountable for the operating leverage, you have a bad business. When operators get paid off the top and aren't really accountable for the bottom line, oh boy, it's not real fun. It's not real good for whoever owns the asset. Um, I feel the as,
0: same way about employment, right? I feel the same <laughs> way if if you can get your employees to understand the difference between net income and gross income and how they are solely responsible for that, yeah, you get a different kind of performance. But you also have to, you know, reward them in that way, right? You've got to you gotta make sure that if the company makes more money, the employee makes more money, but then that's hard to do.
3: It, exactly. It's it's so much about incentive systems. So in our model, uh, we do not participate in the operating uh, results of the asset. We get paid a rent no matter what the results are. I think I mentioned we got paid 100 percent of our rent in cash on time during COVID, right? This is during a period when almost every hotel REIT in America uh, was having to borrow money to uh, to make sure they had the proper liquidity. They suspended their dividends. Uh, Most hotel REITs that were in existence prior To the Great Financial Crisis, have never recovered to the stock prices they had before the GFC, not before COVID, before the GFC, and it's because when times get tough, in the nature of their business model, they bear all the suffering. We don't.
0: The GFC, the Great Financial Crisis of two thousand eight. That's amazing that these stocks, the hotel stock, hotel reads, have not uh, regained what they once were you know, 14 years ago, 15 years ago, almost. Um, and, uh, that just shows you, you know, the, uh, the model matters. There's a Buffett quote that goes something like that. It says that when the, when the reputation of the manager is great and the reputation of the business is bad, it is the reputation of the business that usually prevails.
1: Ah, that's interesting. I haven't, I haven't heard that. Corey, what's your next drill down?
0: Well, finally, I want to look back at our interview with the CEO of Absolute Software back in February of 2022. Um, we talked to Christy Wyatt, the CEO of that company, uh, and it has done really, really well in a year, again, where the you know the NASDAQ 100, the, those big tech stocks, down uh, over 30% for the year. Um, uh, you know, this company, the 35%, what did I say, the, for the year, it's a 34% decline of the NASDAQ 100. Here you've got a, a software company, a software security company, Absolute Software, Doing so much better.
1: This was our uh, drill down episode 144. Uh, an absolute software trades under ABST shares have jumped almost 12 percent over the past month, and have gained 18 percent in a year. So yeah, fantastic. Doing very well and this is a in this market. It's not a
0: big company. It's a 500 million dollar company, but it's ah uh, it's interesting. It's self healing cybersecurity software for devices for cell phones. for uh, And it's not the fancy software as a service. It's not network security. It's not zero trust. How many times have we talked about zero trust on the podcast in the last year? This is just software installed in devices. And really these guys, they're they're managing networks. They're not managing networks. They're managing the stuff that's on the networks. They're not managing who's on the the devices. They're managing the devices themselves. So this is monitoring devices to know uh, you know, what they are, what software they're running, where they are in a, in a work from home, remote worker, quarantine inspired diaspora. Absolute Software is a business whose time had finally come. Here's Christy Wyatt, the CEO of Absolute Software.
4: We're the only cybersecurity company that's actually built into the hardware of every PC and laptop that's been built um, over the last fifteen plus years. And so our focus on the device, you know what we call the endpoint, which is really the thing with the keyboard that users interact with, you know we we care a lot about that. Um, it's It's pretty basic stuff. You would be shocked to know how many companies don't know what they own and where it is. Um and so when we move to this work from anywhere era, and all of a sudden everybody is all over the world doing their job. Um, It's really, really important that you can find that device, you can ensure that device is working, that it has the right security on it. And when we get to zero trust, that you can actually trust the controls and the security data that's coming off of that device. And so it's a bit of a different view on it. We believe that, you know, the only part of the enterprise infrastructure the user actually has access to is the device sitting in front of them. So we need to make sure that that device is solid. um, And that's our focus.
0: So I just love it when a company comes out and we start to hear the things that we all know, that every company's a little bit screwed up, just like every company we've all worked for, right? You've, you know, I think Isaac have worked for at least one of the same companies, mm-hmm. well, two now if you count this business podcast network, and they're all a little bit screwed up and they're all a little bit dysfunctional. And yes, all the companies don't exactly know where all their devices and which knucklehead in the sales department is still running windows 95 and exposing the company to some risk and absolute software is there to help them on the device front. It's a company whose time has come. I looked at the pre pandemic growth rates for absolute software and they were at about 5% revenue growth rate year over year. Now it's over 50%. So this thing's suddenly finally growing really fast.
1: Uh, You know, when you listen to Christy Wyatt talk, when she was talking to us, you couldn't, it's, it's no surprise. She knows her customers. She knows her technology. She sees uh, the trends emerging. um, And she seems to really, um, she talks so, she talks so well about her team that she's surrounded with. I was really impressed by that.
0: Yeah. She was talking to us from British Columbia at the time too. Another one of those CEO interviews that was so remote that we did in this last year. I wonder if we're going to start to see more CEOs in their office, me included, Maybe. All right, well, coming up next, we're gonna stay on the topic of cybersecurity. A really interesting company, Sumo Logic, um, that is focused on you know, big data uh, and security and software as a service, um, all those super hot trends that have continued, uh, even uh, in, in the slowdown that we've seen in some IT spending. Um, this company is uh, doing some interesting work. We're gonna to talk to the CEO of Sumo Logic, Raman Saya,
1: right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com, to learn more. Welcome back to the Drill Down podcast. As promised, we are joined right now
0: by Ramin Sayer, as the CEO of of sumo logic uh, i mean glad to have you yours is a fascinating company and my challenge in this conversation is to either have you avoid all of the um the buzzwords that are uh, that are just regular speak in the, in the technology industry or interrupt you constantly to decipher them i don't mind doing it either but um because uh, sure. your business is, is is to me really kind of uh, at the at the the biggest intersection of how technology is affecting all business and that is managing mountains of data.
5: Yeah. Well, let's zoom out of kind of the tech speak for a second and look at our everyday lives. Um, You know, when you get up in the morning, the first device or thing you interact with is probably your mobile phone, right? Secondly, there's some other light switches or things in your home that you're interacting with. Then you get in your car and you're interacting with that. Then you get to work and you're interacting with that all those sources are powered by a similar thing, an application or set of applications. And those applications are now dynamically different than they were, you know, three to five years ago, let alone 10 years ago. And what's common across all those, like you're saying, is the volume, the velocity, and the variety of data, the explosion or the tsunami of data that we're talking about.
0: And it seems to me that, that, yeah, you know as i was researching your company and trying to think of ways to talk about it um that that there's sort of two ways the companies deal with the data and and one is thinking of new business opportunities thinking of ways to mine that data understand their customer find new customers create new products whatever the more realistic thing is probably some kind of nightmare that the data has created or at least that's maybe where they start with oh, my God, we've got this new app and it's crashing for all of our users who have the letter X in their name, but we can't figure out why that is. Or trying to figure out problems like that, um, that, that all this data and all this all, the, all of the, um, uh, the technology that more and more companies are having throughout their their um, business, um, creating all kinds of problems and not being able to see all that data at the same time.
5: Yeah, I mean, so if you, if you look at what Sumo has been designed and purpose-built um, well over a decade ago, is to solve the complexity that we're talking about that practitioners every single day face trying to deliver delightful digital experiences to their end users falls in three buckets. The first is we're trying to help these engineers, these software engineers, security engineers, get better reliability of the applications that they're building. The second thing we're trying to help them do is secure and protect the other aspect of the data that you're talking about, in terms of privacy and compliance, let alone potentially breach of a lot of that data, whether it's financial data, personal information data. And the third is to gain that insight into that dynamic infrastructure that's opaque that these applications are running on. So these three things are emulating all this data. And so that complexity, we try to help simplify by using intelligence and analytics industries call it machine learning, anomaly detection, or artificial intelligence, a lot of times it's just correlation and statistical correlation of a lot of this underlying data and looking for patterns, looking for abnormal versus normal patterns. And that's how we started. We started as a cyber company 12 years ago. Our specialty is cloud-scale log analytics. And we expanded that to be able to address these three areas that I just talked about, and we've built a big business around
0: it. It's interesting too. Um, uh, you've got a bunch of helpful videos and case studies. I don't know why every company, particularly tech, enterprise technology companies, don't fill their investor pages with case studies as you have. Because to me, that just, that really helps an investor understand how a business, it's what I try, always try to do in this podcast is what did the business look like before? Then your, then your solution comes in and what did the business look like after? And um, uh, your case studies are so helpful in that and, and you do get a real sense of customers maybe they're starting with concerns about security it seems that the dashboard that, that you create is so very helpful um maybe it isn't but I, w- I only a user would know but um uh, but it seems that the, the the dashboards that you certainly show on your site um, represent lots and lots of information about what's going on from lots of different sources and I think that's the other part of what you're talking about it's not just keeping your stuff secure, giving you opportunities to fix problems and giving you opportunities to create new businesses. But it's also the amalgamation of data from lots of different places, internal, external, private, hybrid hybrid cloud, right? We all love that phrase right now. Um, But, you know, multiple, someone's using Google, someone's using Azure, someone's using Amazon Web Services, all in the same business or all in different parts of their business. That's a lot of data.
5: Yeah, so... uh... One of the things that is really challenging about this conversation is that when you unpack this various types of data, it typically falls into what's called structured data is well formatted. And secondly, semi-structured data, which is kind of well formatted, and then unstructured data, which is not structured at all. It's it's really complex. And you have to reason and decipher over that and correlate, compare that to the other types of data to ultimately deliver these dashboards that your column are talking about. And those are a lot of signals that we've reduced the noise from to be able to create these powerful
0: insights. Well, let's let's these break down some of the idea. There. So action. structured data might be an Oracle database, right? You've got your columns of of information. You know what your input things are. You know that a blank is a blank and and, and if and something gets filled out as a piece of information. Your unstructured data might be an image, right? Or or something that looks wrong um, or right. And your semi-structured is what? Just a poorly constructed database?
5: It's a log data. Yeah. It's a log data. So a good example of the structured is a metric, like the health or response time of a digital application or service. When you log into something via mobile application, how many milliseconds is it taken for your response from that request of clicking something to give you a result back, right? And then the rendering of an image, like you're saying, right, that might be unstructured because you're, you know, looking at a catalog or whatever else It's semi-structured, right? Um, Then as you look at the actions that I take, right? um, Put something in my shopping cart and I enter my credit card information. Now I make that data opaque, right? Because you as an application owner make it opaque for privacy reasons. And then I try to make sure I, I don't do anything to obfuscate or, you know, expose any of your privacy data on the app or in our transactional systems on the back end. And then I try to look at patterns of you versus other shoppers or other users in the system to understand normal and abnormal behavior, right? Because we serve the most um, impressive gaming platforms, the most impressive retail platforms. Like if you're paying with a credit card, the backend chances are is Sumo if you're traveling on one of the top airlines in the US the back end is sumo if you're using a mobile application to shop on ebay or this one or that one the back end is probably sumo right and when i say the back end they've written these applications to ultimately take action, allow you to take action but they need to be able to collect that information protect that information and then do something with that information not only when the transaction's over but even days or weeks or months later
0: one of the examples on uh, uh, in your investor materials was the suggestion that uh, there was some big, uh, within the dashboard, uh, an IT person looks and says, wow, all of a sudden we've got a real slowdown in people's ability to log into the site. And you look and see, well, is that on a data center side? Is it is it is this a problem we've got with our Amazon Web Services connection or Azure connection? Or is it a software problem in the application that we're, we're running? Or is it a payment issue? And the idea that you can kind of start to alert yourself to the problem and then look through uh, on the same dashboard through all of the different, app, all the, all the different players, uh, places that your, your computing is happening on the cloud to figure out where the bottleneck is. It seems kind of amazing and, and really difficult.
5: It is. And if you look at what we do on a daily basis, we're ingesting and analyzing more than a petabyte every single day. And so these are coming from various sources, like you're saying on-prem, off-prem, mobile devices, applications, infrastructure. And at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is distill this stream of data and uh, unknown data and known data in terms of structure, like we just talked about, into these meaningful insights. So ultimately, we can serve the developers and engineers who are managing their code, like you're talking about, or the environment being the infrastructure. And so they can get back to doing what they love best, which is building more code, deploying more applications. And similarly, security practitioners to not waste their time investigating false alarms, right? And so the reason why this is really important I, I is, think in one of your
0: materials, you called it alarm fatigue.
5: Alarm fatigue, yeah. That's exactly what I was calling. It's, it's not just for security engineers. It's also for developers and DevOps engineers because all this data that we're talking about oftentimes creates false alarms with traditional tools that just do the what, the monitoring, versus what Sumo is really oriented towards is the where, the why, and the how. Not just what happened, where did this happen, why this happened, and how do I go remediate and fix this to prevent it from happening again? And this is why we're trying to actually bring together these disparate teams in the traditional enterprise or in a traditional organization where security is separated from dev and or site reliability engineers. And at the end of the day, they need to work much more collaboratively together in this environment. Not only because we're all distributed now, but because the rate of change, the rate of change of deploying and updating code and applications, and the rate of change, which is centered around the risk of surface of attacks being so broad every single day, right? And so that rate of change of delivering software and the rate of change of security risk means these teams can't work on their silos. These silos suck. These silos prevent to prevent those teams working more collaboratively. And a lot of the same information that they need is centered on logs. And we're the cloud scale log analytics leader in the market. And we built a business upon that to be able to give those intelligence and insights to these disparate teams, but more importantly, bring them together so they can communicate and collaborate and do what they love best, their jobs. And then not be woken up in the middle of the night for a false alarm.
0: I would imagine that makes it harder to sell the product because the security guy is going to say, well, that's, a, it's really an ops tool. I got to get ops to sign on because it's not just my decision. And the ops guy is going to say, well, it's really a product development tool. And, and those are the really the guys who got to sign off on this or talk to the security guys. I'm not really involved. And that you could end up going around in circles, trying to get a company to agree to buy your product.
5: Well, what's interesting is um, we actually, target uh, practitioners in security and secondarily practitioners in development. And we don't go to them with the premise of you need to work better with your counterpart. <laughs> right? <laughs> we go to them You really should the be nice that we're asshole trying down to help the hallway. solve <laughs> yeah right. We're trying to solve what they're challenged with, which is you know reliability of the application, visibility into the infrastructure, and to some degree, protecting of the data, right? If they're a developer. And then the order for a security engineer is a little bit different, protecting the data, get visibility into the infrastructure that's supporting their tools and their applications, right? So they have a common set of needs. The difference is that we've purpose-built solutions on top of the central analytics platform to serve their independent needs, but also be able to allow them to share and work together. I'll give you a good example. <clears throat> one of the largest uh, home improvement um, stores that you would go to to shop for fixing stuff around the house on the weekends, right? Unfortunately, had a business issue many years ago where their point of sale systems were actually impacted and they had a breach and loss of data.
0: Oh, my right? God. The same thing happened so at they had Home to Depot. Bring in, I don't need to ask you to name your customers, but that did happen to Home Depot.
5: I'm not talking about them. It's a different one in this case, right? <laughs> okay. But um, – what happened there was it galvanized the security team, the central IT and infrastructure team, and the application team to come better together, right? It was an event, a security event that caused that, okay? Um, another situation where we, uh, where we have uh, a lot of media publishing um, type of companies, and you know, we just had the elections last month, right? Midterm elections. And so a lot of websites that follow that and track that or streaming games um, like Epic and the like. And so there is, there's a, there's a culminating event. There's a one-time event where you're going to see a huge spike in volume right. of users and data. And, and this is hacking. where there's a war room. Pardon?
0: And of hacking, right? Or they, they become a much larger And potentially of hacking.
5: Yet. Exactly. So this is a great opportunity where, you're able to allow them to create a war room across development, operations, security when they have these large culminating events, right? And to make sure security from the WAF and the endpoint and everything else is protected, sorry for the acronyms, or from the infrastructure typically, right? And it's not compromising the flow of data on the network or user experience, right? And game reliability experience or polls and the like are are not impacted in any way from a business context point of view. So the point here is whether you're a digital leader and you've been in the cloud, born in the cloud like Sumo, or you're digitally transforming, or you're a digital laggard and you hope to get there, we have a solution and a path for that.
0: It does seem that there is a um, a, uh, a model, however, for a modern application, the, the three-tier application, um, a, f- a term that I wasn't familiar with until I started researching your company, but I am now. And it does seem like that, you know, that's kind of the architecture, right? It's there's a presentation tier and an application tier and a data tier. And that those sort of three pieces obviously have to work together, but they all have very, they can have very different uh, components of the technology that sit in very different places. Obviously the presentation tier might be the app on the phone. The data tier might be a pile of data sitting in a data center somewhere and the application or the the presentation tier, the application tier, sorry, in the middle is, could be existing anywhere in those places.
5: True. Typically, these are referred to as n tier, and a lot of times you hear uh, other um, kind of industry jargon like microservices, architected applications, yeah, yeah, yeah. or Kubernetes. And you know these are n- not new concepts, but new technologies addressing similar concepts that we've had in the data center for uh, several decades, a couple decades now. And what's really important here: there's a trillion dollars of spend that's shackled in the data center that's being dramatically changed because applications are being lifted and shifted to the cloud. They're re-architecting those apps to say N tier apps from three tier, right? And the infrastructure now is not dedicated. It's opaque, it comes and goes. So this creates complexity for these operators that are running the the service, creates complexity for security practitioners to protect the data and the business. And this creates complexity for the engineers who are just trying to get code out faster right? And so back to what we do, breaking down those silos, allowing intelligence and analytics as a foundation of a core service we provide to bring these teams together to ultimately ensure application reliability, get visibility into the infrastructure and secure and protect against modern threats.
0: It's a a fascinating thing. I also wonder, you know, uh, let me take it out with this concept of where we are right now. So, You know, we're in a world right now where technology spend. some technology spend has slowed down. Certainly there's been, um, in particular, on the consumer facing application world, right? Those businesses that were reliant upon um, advertising for a source of revenue, Facebook in particular, right? Has seen a, uh, a lot more difficulty collecting money from advertisers because Apple has hidden the identity of the customers and Facebook can't access it and therefore sell it so well, but that That singular and massive problem for Facebook, uh, and to be clear, uh, I own some Facebook shares, you know, um, that (laughs) that big problem for Facebook has spread to a concern that all of technology growth will slow down. And, and I wonder what you're seeing um, is, 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 is that a trend that you're seeing is that, is it, is there a kind of general pause um, uh, across all industries regarding, uh, regardless of which problems they solve?
5: I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, I think the reality is the consumerization of IT, um, the impact that we see and feel every day from the various social applications and the mobile devices we use is only accelerating the opportunity for that trillion dollar spend that I referred to. Legacy applications shackled in the data center, right? On legacy infrastructure, on legacy tools, that need to be modernized or gotten rid of. And so as those get modernized, it actually forces a shift in priorities and spend to what's going to drive agility, what's going to drive agility and growth, what's going to essentially save money and time, and what's going to help protect and ensure that you don't have a breach or risk or compliance issue. So priorities for a lot of enterprise organizations heading into next year will be centered around that. Some of the nice to have projects may be delayed, but the must-have projects of running the business in terms of delighting and driving rev delighting users and driving revenue aren't gonna change. The priorities around protecting the data, ensuring you're compliant, you don't have a breach, or if you have a breach, how do you react to that? Aren't gonna change. There might be other priorities that might change for the enterprise. So it's care, we have to be careful when we see. Um, a lot of these headlines around what's going on on the consumer side or a certain vertical or segment. Because these are times, if you look back in history, when there's been a downturn and a correction in the market, a couple of years out of that is when you've seen the boom of new technologies, the boom of software, and more importantly, SaaS, like what we've seen over the last decade, take off. So you're going to see a lot of innovation that's going to come out from this window that we're in and a lot of opportunity that will exist in the market besides the noise that you hear now. Much like we do, separating the signal to noise, delivering insights through analytics.
0: Oh, well done. Well, I think you're in the wrong business. My seat is open as soon as you need some way to wrap it up (laughs) like that. Ramin Sayer is the CEO of Sumo Logic. Thank you very much for
1: your time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. With Era, give yourself an information advantage. Connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's Era. A-I-E-R-A dot com. And you can listen to the Drill Down podcast on your smart speaker. Ask your smart speaker to play the Drill Down podcast and you'll hear our latest show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at Drill Down Pod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. And check us out on LinkedIn. And we're back with the
0: drill down bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot. Isaac, the bite could be one, which is one person who's really relieved because I was so worried as I was reading up on this company that we'd get into this endless discussion of techno babble. But no, Ramin Sayer was great. Yeah. Because this stuff is so interesting and it's so prevalent, but it is also into the weeds. But if you think about, and as we approach that bite, that bite is 50. I'll tell you what 50 represents. But if you think about it, all of the machines, the mobile phones, the traffic lights, the servers, the laptops, the, the firewalls, all, you know, all of these devices, and then all the applications, and then all the transactions, all those applications to. I mean, this just goes on and on and on. And so the company says that it will ultimately be dealing with 50 zettabytes of information, which is the uh, one zettabyte is as many grains of sand as there are on all the world's beaches. They think they'll be doing 50 zettabytes a day. (laughs) That's something very hard to wrap your head around. Wow. It's hard to imagine. Yes. Yeah. It would be like a trillion hours of streaming on Netflix, Uh, which I wouldn't recommend even if you've got the flu. I mean, you just be a vegetable after that. Uh, Well, we're glad you could uh, uh, join us for this show. This is uh, um, uh, just another interesting another interesting company, and one we can uh, keep an eye on Sumo. for a while. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. I'm Corey Johnson. Ben Wilson is our editor extraordinaire. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network.